If you're reading along um, in God's Word with us um, and the church family through the all-in, I'm going to flip back this morning. Uh, I think this morning's reading, if I remember right, was from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want to read that to you before we start today. It's not going to be on the screens. This is just something uh, that ties to something we've done in our service today. But what those what those parents committed to do was something that, that Israelite parents committed to do uh, years and years ago and generations ago. Uh, in Deuteronomy, God gave them this word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And he goes on to challenge them uh, to put God's word in front of their kids and, and for generations to come to put God's word literally on their clothes and in front of their faces but they would literally wear God's Word every day. And so when we, we jump into God's Word and we're going to be flipping through, uh, looking at Acts chapter 13 specifically, but looking at a summary of the story of the life of Peter, and you think about all the things that he went through and the different opportunities he had uh, to experience life with Jesus firsthand. And we're going to learn today about the unexpected power of yes. And so think about some times in your life when you've had the opportunity to say yes to something. Uh, yesterday afternoon, we loaded up after lunch, took our kids down to the rodeo, and we got to see some some young men uh, do something that, that I would probably never uh, have a desire to do. Uh, they would get in this chute and get on the back of a bull, and they would get their hand placement just right and get that grip just right. They'd take several minutes to do that, and then they nod their head real quick. And what comes happen, what happens next after they nod their head real quick? Some guy on the ground flings the gate open, Bull has room to roam, to jump, to buck, to spin, to turn, to do all those things, doing everything that that bull can do to get that cowboy off. And I think we watched, what was it, 10 riders? I think one, it was the championship round, so this is the best of the best of the Houston Rodeo over the last two plus weeks, and 10 riders, I think only one of them successfully rode eight seconds, met, met the time, so he got a scored ride. All the others, they had to come back and do this little kind of playoff thing. I missed the playoff. Uh, because I will confess, I was at the concession stand uh, getting Tate $18 worth of nachos that he ate three chips of, and I, Olivia got a $32 hot dog, and I think she ate two bites of it. So I finished some of the chips, the nachos, a few of the french fries, and the turkey sandwich that I got from the Killens barbecue stand, which was very good, by the way. But we watched these, these bull riders and these bronc riders nod their head yes, and for eight seconds of what I would think would be sheer terror, Horses jumping, bulls jumping, spinning, doing all these things, doing everything they can to get this rider off. But all about that, that yes. And so in those, for those few minutes, so for them, for those few seconds, their yes was a pretty big commitment. Maybe some of you, I look out across the, the auditorium and some of you uh, ladies have had the chance to respond to a question. Will you marry me? Someone has asked you that question and you've said yes. Maybe someone has extended you an opportunity to, to, to take a job that's, that's caused you to need to move uh, across the county or across the state or across the country. Uh, for us, about 10 years ago, uh, the door opened for an opportunity for us to, to move to Conroe, Texas, this foreign country known as Southeast Texas. We're from Northeast Texas. There, there's like a huge difference. I mean, East Texas is big, and there's a huge difference in Northeast Texas and Southeast Texas. I will confess that when I moved here, I had never been a part of a crawfish boil. I had never been a part of one of those. And now that's like, that's one of my favorite things. This is like one of the best times of year uh, to go and get good crawfish at the local restaurants and have different people who've been doing it their whole lives boil some crawfish and serve that up. But 10 years ago, this, this month began a process 
uh, for Candace and I in our marriage and with our family where we said yes to God. We didn't know what door was going to open. We didn't find out until months later that that door was going to be come be the youth pastor at First Baptist Conroe. But even then, us saying yes to that phone call and, and, and then the interview and then the comeback interview and then officially accepting the call to come and serve as, as this church's student pastor in the fall of 2009, when that happened, the, the, the yes for us was, was years before that. When God called me into the ministry and when God called Candace to come and serve alongside someone in the ministry. And even before that, when both of us gave our lives to Christ as children and trusted Jesus as our Savior and saying, yes, I want to follow after this one known as the Messiah. And so all along the way, there have been individual yeses, but it was that very first one, that commitment to follow Christ, to be obedient to Him, uh, to do what He calls us to do that has brought us to this place today. And so you may be thinking that, that at some point in your life, you, you've made that decision. You've seen and experienced firsthand what it means to, to have God extend grace to you and what it means to be forgiven for your sin, for your separation from God. That's inside all of us. That, that inability for us to be perfect, to be righteous without someone doing something on our behalf. And that someone is Jesus. And so I discovered that as an eight-year-old boy that, that God loved me more than any person on this earth ever could. And I trusted Jesus as my Savior. And ever since then, every decision I've made has been affected by that yes. That's our prayer and our, our desire for these, these children that were up here today that at some point they would reach that place in their lives where God would stir in their heart and they would say yes to following after Him. And many of you have done that. Many of you can look back to a time and a place in your life when you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. So you say, well, today as we're talking about the unexpected power of yes, and we're, we're closing this, this series where we've been in the book of Acts and looking at a church that was all in and carrying through this theme in 2019 of being individuals, of being a church family that's all in. Yes, there's some specific things that we're doing. We're reading through God's Word together as a church family from cover to cover working through Genesis all the way through the end of the Old Testament, working through the wisdom literature, working through the Gospels, and working through the story of Acts and, and Paul's letters and other letters at the end of the New Testament and the epistles. We're working through that together. Some of you have made commitments to serve in local ministries outside the walls of this church, to be involved in missions in Conroe and Montgomery County, or to be involved in missions in New Orleans or Vancouver or overseas in the United Kingdom, or, or in South America and Central America with some of our international mission partners. You've made commitments to do that. Some of you are praying for people who are lost. Some of you may be praying for someone who's in this room right now. Some of you may be praying for someone who's in your family or someone you work with. You've made that commitment. Maybe you've committed, and we've seen the fruit of this already, as you've committed to greater generosity with your time, your talent, and your treasure. People stepping up to serve and be involved in ministry that weren't involved before. People giving in ways they haven't given before and responding to that call in their lives. And so we, we have seen people uh, step up and raise up to be all in together. But today, as we close this, this sermon series that Pastor Jeff has been leading us through, what the world needs now, looking at a church that's all in, we're going to ask the question today, what would happen if we said yes? What could happen if, if we tie all this together where we began looking at God uh, desiring and using the church to help reconcile the world to Himself and asking us as, as individual believers and as a church family, 
and with Christians all around the world to join in the process of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the world around us so that they can see and know and be reconciled to God through Jesus. We've looked at the book of Acts at a church that fulfilled that mission. The early church that was so, so vital in the growth of Christianity around the world. This church stuck close to God and allowed God to be in charge. They didn't lean on their own understanding. They trusted God to use them individually and collectively in a, in a mighty and a powerful way. This church was made up of people just like you and me, ordinary Jesus followers, who because of the power of the Holy Spirit became extraordinary disciple makers in their part of the world and beyond. These ordinary Jesus followers did the work. It didn't just rely on the apostles, the leaders in the church. Everybody shared in the ministry. Everybody shared in the work of sharing the gospel and proclaiming the gospel in the area where the churches were raised and beyond as they sent missionaries. And as they sent missionaries, they took the gospel everywhere they went. Romans chapter 10, Paul writes, the, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So you and I today have the, the ability to share the gospel in a number of different ways. We can get on an airplane and we can fly to Columbia. And in just a few hours, we can, we can link up with Russ and Sherry Fleetwood and be on the ground with them who are international missionaries serving there full time. And we're praying for them and supporting them and looking for ways to partner with them as they seek to reach unreached people groups in northern Columbia. We can be there in just a few hours. Now, when we get there, we'll have to probably do a little walking. But, but think back to, to, to this time in Scripture and this time in history. Other than boat travel, maybe riding on an animal, everything else was done by foot. There wasn't Twitter. There wasn't Facebook. There wasn't social media. There wasn't email. There wasn't a way to communicate with people digitally halfway around the world. You had to physically walk to them. And Paul writes, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, those who take the gospel everywhere they go. And then last week, we looked at, at the community that this church experienced together. They literally shared everything together. They shared their time in God's Word and prayer and worship. They shared their possessions. They experienced the, the joy of community and what it's like to live with, with Christ at the center of their lives individually and collectively in this community. And we had the challenge last week to, to, to think about how you're adding to the community here in this church. Primarily done through our life groups, but there are dozens of other ways that you can be involved in community but we want and deeply desire for each person who's a part of this church to be connected in Christ-centered biblical community. And so then today, as we come to, to close this series together and look at, at what it means and what God is asking you and what God's asking me to do to be a church that's all in, I think God's asking you to play your part. And He wants you to answer the question, what, what would happen if I say yes? I, I don't want to know how. I don't need to know how. We understand why. We see that from Scripture. I don't want to know how specifically it's going to play out. That will happen. I can, I can trust God to reveal that to me. Just what would happen today if the several hundred of you that are here at this service and the several hundred that were here at 830, if we all said yes, we just laid it out there, God, here it is, yes. I don't know what it is that you're calling me to do. I don't know what it is that you're calling us to do. But I'm going to say yes to that. Well, thankfully... Prayerfully for some of you, we, we have a pattern of this happening in Scripture. A pattern of, of people trusting God. Of people trusting Jesus enough that they didn't have to know how or when or where or what. They said yes to Jesus and followed after Him. And one of those individuals is Peter. 
He's been kind of the, the central character of the, the stories and acts that we've been looking at up to this point. But we learn a lot about Peter in the Gospels. Peter was one of, of Jesus' followers, one of his disciples, one of, the, one of the first individuals that Jesus called to follow him. His name wasn't Peter originally. Uh, the Gospels introduced him as a, as a Jewish fisherman named Simon. And Simon was a fisherman by trade. He spent his days out on the boat, out on the water, fishing, trying to bring in fish for his family to eat, to trade, to sell, to do whatever he needed to do to make a living. That was his job. He was a fisherman. He had a brother named Andrew. There's an account of Jesus teaching in Simon's town and Andrew's town and healing their mother and other sick people there in that town. There's an account of Andrew dragging Simon to Jesus saying, I think we found the Messiah. I think I found him. I think I found the one we've been waiting for. So he'd had a couple of interactions with Jesus before he had this third interaction with him. He, he had an opportunity uh, to encounter Jesus at his workplace. He's out in the boat fishing. He's had a very, very long, very unsuccessful day of fishing. Anybody else had one of those days before? I'm not going to pretend to raise my hand because I don't do much fishing, but I know that a lot of you spend some time out on Lake Conroe, some of the area lakes. So you know what that's like. You've gotten geared up. You've gotten ready to go. You've gotten ready for a great day of fishing, and then no catch. The boat's empty. You don't have anything to bring home. The live well is not very alive because there's no life in the live well. And yet here's Peter out there on this boat, and Jesus comes to him and says, throw your net over there. Throw it on the other side of the boat and see what happens. And so because of these interactions with Jesus where Peter has seen him teach and been around him, Peter's seen him heal people, Peter says, okay, I'll do it. Throws his net to the other side of the boat and brings in the biggest catch he's ever had. Simon reels in the biggest catch he's ever had, his best day of work. He's at the very peak of his career. You know, imagine being promoted to the very highest level of whatever industry you're in. Imagine getting the biggest raise you've ever been offered. Imagine things being at the very best for your family. Imagine you having the nicest house and the nicest car and everything that you've ever wanted. And then listen to what Jesus says to Peter. Peter, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And Jesus places that same call on, on, on your life and on mine. Follow me. I want to make you a fisher of men. And what does Peter say? Yes. Everywhere I have the word yes in my notes, it's all caps and exclamation mark. It's not like, are you hungry? Yes. You know, are you tired? Yes. Not just a basic yes. It's an emphatic yes. He literally laid down his lifestyle, his livelihood, his fishing at his boat, got out, walked, and began to follow Jesus. Now, one of two things could have happened. It's probably likely that Peter expected Jesus to be the one to come in and reform the Jewish faith. They were waiting for this, this religious Messiah, this figure to come in in this religious political sphere and come in and restore Israel back to a place of prominence and a place of victory in the world and to, to reform the Jewish faith. What he didn't expect is what really happened. See, he probably didn't expect that he would see Jesus walk on water. He, he probably didn't expect that he would see Jesus transfigured and speak to Moses and Elijah. He didn't expect that one day Jesus would tell him he would be the rock. Peter, Petro, his name. The rock that the church, as we know it today, the Christian church, the church of Jesus Christ would be built on the rock. He didn't know that, that he would deny Jesus three times only to see Jesus raised from the dead. Something that in just a few weeks on Easter Sunday, we will come together and celebrate that as a, as a church family and Christians around the world celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He didn't expect that he would see him raised and would restore him 
after this time of denial where he rejected who Jesus was and what he had experienced with him. He didn't expect that he would preach at Pentecost, be a part of the healing of a crippled man. Peter didn't expect that he would see thousands saved and stand up to those that condemned Jesus or that he would, as we learned a few weeks ago, miraculously escape from prison with the help of the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through them. He couldn't have predicted, Peter couldn't have predicted that his own people would turn against him, especially a radical Pharisee we know as Saul, who after his conversion was named Paul. He couldn't have expected that. He couldn't have expected that the Christian movement would grow beyond Jerusalem to the rest of the Mediterranean world. He couldn't have expected that he would lead a Roman centurion and his family and his friends to Jesus. And even some who fled Jerusalem would start a church in a place called Antioch where the people weren't even Jewish and had no historical understanding of, of who this Messiah was supposed to be. And I would add that, that there's no way that Peter would have predicted that on March 17, 2019 in Conroe, Texas, he's being talked about that day when he said yes to Jesus. He just knew there was something different about Jesus than any other person that had lived or would ever live, and he wanted to follow him. He wanted to make his life about following Jesus. Look what happened because Peter said yes. Look what happened because of what Jesus did in and through the people of the church at Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 3 and look at three things about this church and what's unique about this church and what, what traits we desire for our church to, to emulate as well. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaan, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So you get this introduction to, to Paul, the beginning of Paul's missionary journeys. And what looks to be and what's accounted to be one of the earliest sendings of a foreign missionary team. But there's some things we need to pick up about this group of people, these leaders, this church at Antioch, and their heart for the kingdom that I think we can emulate and can help us as we think about the importance of saying yes this morning to what it is that God has called us to. And the first one is this. Notice the diversity of their leadership. Barnabas was from the little island of Cyprus. Simeon, we don't know where he's from, but his nickname, Niger, meant black. Lucius was from Cyrene in North Africa. Manan was a close friend of Herod, and he was raised in money, lots of privilege, lots of wealth. Came from a totally different economical background than the others. And then there's Paul, who rose to, to prominence as Saul, a murderous Pharisee, radically converted to faith in Jesus Christ, blinded on the road to Damascus, converted into to belief in Jesus Christ as his Savior and given the name Paul, and went from being extremely, extremely hateful towards and in opposition of Christianity to now one of the, the men that we look to as one of the leading teachers, preachers, and writers in, in all of Christian history. And so what was it about these, these diverse men that helped in this, this leadership? Well, I think one, their diversity of leadership shows that it's, it's likely that their church family, the church at Antioch, reflected that diversity. And that there were, there were people from different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different economic uh, areas of, the, of, of their society all involved in this church. And I think that's, that's because of two things. One, 
The second thing we see about their church is this. They were attentive to God's voice. We see in Scripture in verse 2 where they prayed, they worshiped, they fasted together, and they came to the conclusion as a church family that Paul and Barnabas were to be sent off. They didn't come to the conclusion that they needed to build a new youth building. Not that we wouldn't need to build a new youth building. That's a good thing, but maybe not necessarily the thing. Or not that they need to start this new ministry or do this new outreach or go to this place or do that, but that 40% of their leadership, two of their five pastors, so comparison for us, we have six full-time ministers on our staff, so, so two of the five pastors would go, and they would be gone, and they would not be a part of the church anymore. So Jeff's not here today, so he's one. Nathan, are you in the room right here? Nathan's in the room. Who, who else can we? We'll, we'll, we'll do Kathy. In the early service, it was me and Robert. We were just gone. We're going to go somewhere else. That wouldn't excite a lot of us, would it? Say so Jeff, and, Jeff and Kathy, they're just gone. They're going to go off and do something somewhere else. And yet, here they are. 40% of their leadership, gone. And this church came to this conclusion together as a church family. You know, if I took a poll right now and said, hey, what are we going to do for lunch after church? There's, looking out there, there's roughly 300, give or take, people in the room. We'd probably get 600 votes for where to go for lunch. There are not even 600 places to eat in Conroe. We can't even decide where we want to go for lunch after church. And here this church is, they're so attentive to God's voice that they decided that two of their pastors needed to be sent as missionaries. Because Peter said yes, and Jesus changed their lives, and the power of the Holy Spirit was present. And then the second thing that we see that drives their diversity, which is the third thing we see about this church, is that this church was kingdom-minded. They had a desire as a church family, as a local church, to say, we, we don't want to keep this a secret. We don't want to keep this here. This is not just for us. This is for everyone. And so we're going to send some of our best leaders, Paul and Barnabas, we're going to send them out to foreign places, to foreign lands. And you can go and read throughout the rest of the book of Acts and throughout the next several letters in the New Testament about where Paul went and what Paul did and where Barnabas went and what Barnabas did. And Timothy comes onto the scene a little bit later. You get all these different stories of where the church and where the gospel went because one church at Antioch, because a group of people said yes to Jesus and the world is literally a different place because of what Jesus did in and through that. So would anything have happened differently had Peter said no? See, God would have still accomplished his mission, but Peter would not have been a part of it. Peter could have got to the end of his life and, and caught dozens and dozens and dozens of more fish and, and been just fine as a fisherman. But he traded being a fisherman of fish to being a fisherman of men. He traded a job, he traded a livelihood for, for eternal life. Not just for him, but for those around him. Those in the church at Antioch. Those in the places that Paul and Barnabas and other places went beyond there. Martin Luther did the same thing in the 1500s. A lightning struck next to his horse on a trip back to college. Went to college at University of Erfurt in Germany. Became one of the, the most famous uh, theologians of all time. Now, the father of the Protestant Reformation and lightning strikes next to his horse. And he said in that time and in that moment, in that place, he said, I'm going to become a monk. And that commitment to that lifestyle and that time in God's Word shaped the way that he thought and shaped who he was so that, that he could go on to, to begin to explain uh, to the German people first and then beyond there what it means truly uh, to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith. Nothing more, 
nothing added to it, nothing less. That our salvation comes by grace from God to us through our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Or John Wesley, just a couple hundred years later, helped in the, the growth of, of the Methodist church and Methodism. He's working as a, as a, as a preacher and as a, as a minister and as an evangelist in, in England, in, in Great Britain, and in Ireland. Uh, and part of the thing that he did there was organize small groups for accountability and discipleship and teaching. And those that followed him would become a part of a movement that would help end slavery and bring about prison reform in Great Britain and in Ireland because he had a conversion experience in May of 1738 where he gave his life to Christ and trusted Jesus as his Savior and wanted to follow after him. And because of that, the world, Christian history, literally the world as we know it was impacted because he said yes to Jesus. See, the power isn't in the yes. That's something that, that we do uh, as a way of, of making a commitment, a, a verbal response to something that Jesus has already done for us. The power isn't just in the yes, but it's in the one that you're saying yes to. The one who just over 2,000 years ago, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one who, who said yes to dying for you, the one who said yes to dying for me, that's where the power lies in this unexpected, unexpected power of yes all throughout Peter's life. God, Peter saw God work in and through the person of Jesus. And then the early church, with the gift of the Holy Spirit, working in and through those people and, in, and through men like Martin Luther and John Wesley. So what is it that God is calling you to do today? Maybe it's stepping up in, in one of the all-in challenges. Refining that commitment to spend time in God's Word or to pray for the lost or to serve in missions, to be a part of what God is doing in, in one of the local areas or beyond, to have a difficult conversation with someone. I mean, calling someone out for, for an area where they're falling short of, 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 the, of the bar that God has set for him, of the target that's in their life, missing the mark for the sin that's in their life, or maybe just sharing your faith with someone in your family or at your workplace or at your school or in your neighborhood that you'd have that conversation with them. Maybe investing in someone by discipling them, developing them as a leader, Maybe pursuing a ministry opportunity. Maybe you know that there's something that God's called you to do in this church or in this community. And He's just waiting on you to say, yes, I'm ready. I want to do that. Maybe it's, it's making the most important decision of all. You know, back when I talked about the different yeses along the way that have brought me to this place today, they all trace back to the decision to trust Jesus as my Savior. And maybe for you that day is today. That you would say, Alan, I, I don't know that, that I've ever taken the time or the opportunity to really truly think about what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. And, and I want to know that today. I want to experience that truth in my life. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. Maybe that's your guess today. Maybe you've done that and this church family doesn't know that. You've never followed through with baptism and you want to, to share with your family, your friends, your church family through baptism what it is that you've done to trust Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you're part of this church and you're attending regularly. You're involved in, in a life group, but, but you haven't found a place to serve. I'd love to have a conversation with you about, about different areas of ministry where you can come and serve and, and grow and be a part of the local body of Christ here at First Baptist Conroe. But whatever it is that God is calling you to do, you should say yes. Put that net down. Trust God. Step out of the boat and begin following Jesus the way that He desires you to. Begin to experience what Paul and Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius and Menean experienced when they sent out some of the first foreign missionaries in the world 
and the growth of, of, of Christ and the spread of the gospel spread beyond the church at Antioch to a number of different places. See, just imagine. Imagine if just you said yes. But only imagine that. Imagine if the person sitting next to you said yes as well. And the people behind you and the people in front of you and, and the people that, that make up the body that is First Baptist Conroe. Imagine if we said yes. Think about the lives that would be changed as we prepare to, to adopt a local school. And we prepare to go into that school and, and do whatever it is step through whatever door God opens for us and partner with a local school and the children and the teachers and the parents and the, the community and see lives change because of that. Imagine, imagine a local neighborhood becoming a cleaner, safer, more enjoyable place to live and do life in, in the neighborhood community around the church because of the commitment we have as a church family to be all in as a church and serve our community together. Imagine a, a town, a city, and its leadership Imagine that they feel the love of Christ in such a powerful way and they see the love of Christ and experience the love of Christ from us as believers that, that they would want to know more about that. And they would want to follow and serve Christ too. And imagine in all those places that the, that the presence of Christ would literally be palpable, that you could walk into those places and feel the presence of Christ because men and women, students, families, individuals, our church family have said yes. Imagine that for for the homeless community and underprivileged in New Orleans that, that our students and others get to minister to each summer. Imagine they get to experience that same love. Some of them maybe for the very first time. Or imagine college students on a campus on a, on a beautiful island near Vancouver, a beautiful mountain, a beautiful setting, a setting where it's impossible to say that God doesn't exist. And yet many people there believe that. Imagine those students encountering someone from our church who says, who says yes today and then ends up on a trip this summer or next year, shares the gospel with that student. That student goes back to their family or their, their dorm or their apartment or their workplace, and they begin to share Christ with those around them. Imagine a community in Costa Rica that's transformed as a result of Christ moving in that community and in a local church there because of partnership that we have with foreign missionaries that are there day in and day out. Imagine an entire unreached people group, entire group of people that doesn't know the gospel, doesn't have the Bible in their language in northern Colombia. Imagine them reaching a place where they're now reached and there are so many believers and so many churches in that people group that now they're sending their own missionaries out into Colombia and beyond. Imagine that happening. That's what could happen when we say yes. That's what will happen if you say yes. God can do any and all of those things. We've seen it in the life of Peter and the other followers of Jesus. We've seen it in the early church. You've experienced it, some of you, in your own lives. And now we're here together for this time and this place and this season of what God is doing in the world. And so whatever God is calling you to do, I want to ask you this morning to say yes. To join with those around you and say yes to what it is that God is calling you to do.